Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Welcome to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley filling in for Tom Brown on this beautiful day in the great state of Arizona. And with me in the studio is my good friend Brian Smith, who's the pastor of Hope Christian Fellowship on the ASU campus, one of the most dynamic ministries on any campus in the United States. Brian, it's great to have you here. Thanks, Mark. Great to be with you. Um, Let's start by just getting your background, some of your testimony. You grew up right here in the Valley of the Sun, didn't you? did. Grew up here in Paradise Valley and uh, went to Scottsdale Christian Academy in grade school and then Brophy Prep High School. Mm -hmm. And uh, my parents were nominal, well, they were committed Catholics and they took us to uh, Catholic Church growing up. And uh, then uh, we were my mom was just sitting at a swim team practice, and the lady was reading a book, What the Bible's All About. And my dad had tried to find a Bible. He had to go to the state fair to get a Bible. He couldn't get it at any bookstore. He bought a used Bible at the state fair. And so my, my mom asked this lady, well, could you uh, – we're trying to figure out what the Bible is. She mm-hmm. said, well, we do Bible studies. So sure enough, my parents became believers not long after that, and we started going to non-denominational churches. Wow, that's amazing. So what was your faith like as a kid? It was a little bit uh, fragmented. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had bits and pieces of the gospel. I knew that Jesus died on the cross, rose again. I knew he loved me, and I knew there was a heaven and hell, which I'm very thankful for. And you went to communion and confession. All that, but didn't understand really what repentance and faith was until right. I got to college. Yep. So tell us about your college experience and what the Lord did to change your life. Well, I went to the University of Arizona in Tucson, and within the first three days, uh, someone came to my door and knocked on it and said, you're Brian Smith. You played basketball at Brophy High School. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want you to come to our party, and it was a fraternity guy. And within a week, I joined a fraternity, and I was kind of off to the races for three years away from God. And uh, I just remember back to that time because of the power of connection when yeah. someone first comes yeah. to campus. And and you're looking for friends. You don't know how you fit in. And the, because he reached out to you, you were brought into that whole party scene. Totally. And that we, we've really, which we can talk about throughout our time together, we've really focused on those first three mm-hmm. days and how important it is to connect with students when they get to school. So what happened after three years of partying at U of A? Well, um, I was on the water polo team. I was in the Greek system and getting involved in leadership in the Greek system. And my big brother in the fraternity, whose name is Ian, uh, was uh, this agnostic guy who uh, I found out was a drug dealer. And he was living a crazy life. Uh, I thought I was a lot better than him because I was more, more moral than him. But he came into the fraternity one day with a Bible in his hand, and I thought he had, like, hollowed it out, and there was a gun in it or drugs (laughs) stashed in it or something. I said, Ian, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to a Bible study. There was a campus minister that Uh had come to teach a Bible study with him. I saw such a change over about a... 11-month period of time that I thought, man, I need to really look into this. And I was I was really convicted. And now, your parents were probably praying for you that whole time. They were. My mom would send letters. I still have some of them saying, we're praying for you. God loves you. He's there for you. And it was almost like I was just outside their reach, but yeah. not outside God's reach. 
We're going to be talking to Brian Smith in this program, and we're going to find out how they have developed one of the most outstanding ministries in the nation on the ASU campus. And um, we're going to talk about campus life and what happens to kids and how they can actually become disciples. Stay tuned to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley from Living Streams. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley. My guest is Brian Smith, who's the pastor of Hope Christian Fellowship. Brian, you guys came over here, what, 11 years ago? Tell us how Hope developed and and some of the basic thrusts of your ministry. Well, uh, my wife, who uh, became a Christian at the University of Florida through a campus Mm -hmm. ministry, uh, her story's interesting too, Mark. She was just sitting outside the library uh, taking a break from studies, smoking a cigarette, and mm-hmm. a campus minister, two campus ministers walked up and just shared a track with her, and she became a Christian the next day. And so her roots are in campus mm-hmm. ministry. Mine were, I, I became a faith in, in college. And so when we came up here, we were sent up here to play, plant this church 11 years ago from Tucson, and uh, in 2004 started ASU, and it has just been a fantastic ride. It's mm-hmm. been awesome. The the university has been so open and, and really welcomed us, and uh, we just really feel part of the community at ASU. Now, there's a lot of different kinds of ministries over at the campus, mm-hmm. but you guys have a niche. You guys preach the gospel and directly go for people's hearts, leading them to Christ. Talk to us about your philosophy of ministry. Sure. <clears throat> well, it's um, I guess I'm captive of my own experience mm-hmm. when— I stepped foot on campus, and right away I was kind of swept up into the current of Mm -hmm. college culture myself. Uh, We see that with college students. And so over the last 11 years, we've made an effort to meet those students the first week they get to campus. In fact, the first 72 hours is our focus, that we want to be sort of the first people they meet to introduce them to college life and not have them sort of fall into that river and get swept away yeah yeah because if you can get people before they're in the gutter you're they're a lot better off exactly than after the fact when there's a lot of damage that's been done yeah yeah and and the and the the truth is the culture on a college campus is uh something that that none of us got to vote on or ratify Mm. it's existed for decades and and it's just this this idea that uh, it, it sort of plays on people's collective insecurities and their desire to belong. Right. So I call it the battle to belong. And mm-hmm. so when students get to campus, there's this battle to belong to something. And so they'll compromise their faith that they were raised with. They'll compromise their uh, things they said they'd never do. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we know a girl last year who said the first three days, the first night I I got drunk. The second night, I, I smoked marijuana. The third night, I lost my virginity. And so these are people that some of them have really been raised in good homes. Yeah. But, but you put the cocktail of no parents around, mm-hmm. new freedom, access mm-hmm. to drugs and alcohol, uh, and just sort of a campus culture that's so prey to if you don't do this, you don't belong to us. 
and then people are in, in a mess. And, and so, if you were talking to a group of parents, let's say uh, um, their kids are going to go off to college, wherever they're going to go off yeah. to college, what are some of the things you would tell them to prepare them to help them prepare their kids for school? Well, great question. I mean, this is when I describe the campus culture, I'm talking about every campus mm-hmm. in America. In fact, uh, there's a statistic that one in four women will experience attempted or completed sexual assault by the time they graduate college. Mm-hmm. And that's a nationwide statistic. So when anybody thinks of their alma mater, their college, it's going on there too. Right. So what I would recommend is that they think school, but they also think community, Christian community mm-hmm. first. So whether you get accepted to Stanford ASU or wherever, uh, you know, find a Christian community before you even go there so that when you get there, it's already, you're already part of something. Yeah. In fact, I've had some parents call me and text me and email me and say, hey, our son lives in Ahwatukee, your daughter here or there. Can we have them come and visit your church? They're a senior in their sec- last semester. Can they visit your church so that when they get there in the fall, they already belong to something? Yeah, that's wonderful. That's really good advice. Yeah. Really good. So you've got some very creative strategies. Um, you don't just do evangelism. Uh, even though that's one of your foundational mm-hmm. principles. Tell us some of the things that have developed at ASU over the years. Sure. Well, I when we came up here, I, I enrolled in seminary, and I was thinking I'm going to be a senior pastor of a church. That's, you know, I need to know my stuff, uh, and, and, I, and I still feel that way. But uh, I was in seminary trying to birth a church and trying to keep up with everything, and it just got too overwhelming. And so mm-hmm. I, I dropped out of seminary, and I did something that I think really probably helped me as much or more. I, I, I actually enrolled in comedy school. And uh, comedy. there's a, a comedy school here in Scottsdale. The, the leader of it, the, the owner of it, uh, wrote for Jay Leno many years ago. And he has a beginner and advanced class that he taught that uh, I went through. And I always felt the power of, of laughter and the gospel mm-hmm. made for reaching human hearts because when people laugh, their guard comes down. And then well, tell open. us something funny then. So, well, I, that's really <laughs> not easy to do on, on cue there, Mark, but I will say it took me five terms to graduate. There was a Nixon, Ford, Carter, and both Reagan terms. Anyway, um, so comedy is one of those things that uh, was welcomed by the university, and yeah. now we have a a welcome week comedy show that we've had over 20,000 ASU students attend over the last seven, eight years. And it's it's part of Welcome Week. And it's a way where they can laugh. There's no proselytizing. Mm-hmm. There's no altar call at the mm-hmm. end. What it is is basically we want you to laugh. Here's our gift to you to get to know you in hopes that that relationship will not only make your life better, but hopefully we can we can develop a deeper relationship and begin to, to bring that focus towards the Lord at some point. And there's some great Christian comics too, aren't there? Oh, tremendous. All over the nation. We've uh, Part of learning that craft of comedy was that I was able to meet some of the best ones around the mm-hmm. nation and bring them to campus. And they're comics that actually work in secular uh, you know, situations and do really well. Now, what are some of the principles they teach you in learning the art of comedy? Uh, that's a secret I can't tell you. No, uh, they, they, they teach you a lot about uh, premise for for mm-hmm. comedy, finding a good premise. Mm-hmm. They teach you about the setup and the, and then the and then the twist and the punch mm-hmm. and all that. And mm-hmm. so there's a, there's more science to comedy yeah, than yeah. than just the art of of telling a story that mm-hmm. ends funny. And uh, for me, 
the, the thing I needed to learn most was that uh, the fewer the words, the better. Yeah. So that's probably been helpful to me. To, to edit it down. Really, just a few things. People are faster. If you build a bridge halfway, they'll get there to you. So. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you guys have a comedy outreach. You have evangelism. And, and tell us just a little more about your evangelism. Your guys go out on the campus and... What do they do? Look for lonely people? They look for people that are hanging out on their own? How do they approach them? I think they're probably more lonely than the people they're reaching, Mark. <laughs> no, that's a joke. Um, I, we, we have our staff. We have uh, 30 full-time staff, and a, a majority of those are on campus. And we, we met 6,000 incoming freshmen mm-hmm. last year in the first three weeks of school. And wow. the way we do that is through these special events like comedy And then uh, we also do an adventure weekend we can talk about later called Sun Devil Survivor. We also have a a Sun Devil's Wear Prada event that my Mm -hmm. wife puts on, which is fashion and and basically a self-esteem thing for for women. But um, in addition to that, we're helping move students into their dorms. We're... We're, uh, we're meeting them through surveying, asking them different questions about what do you want to get involved with mm-hmm. at school, and, and then they'll, they'll mark different things on their survey. And there's always 600 to 1,000 of them that say, yeah, I want to get in a Bible study or come to church out of the, the 6,000. And so you go after those and just follow up on them. Huh? So then we, in an appropriate way, we'll follow up the students that want to be in a Bible study or church or get involved in a club or activity. We have... Uh, we co-sponsor about five clubs on campus that that are actively doing something to help students' lives be better in some way. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, you've got something called the Respect Movement. Tell us yeah. how that developed. Well, um, one of the vice presidents of ASU, uh, I had the pleasure of sitting down with, and I asked him, uh, what's the biggest problem at ASU? And he said, it, well, it's not the biggest problem at ASU. It's the biggest problem on every campus in America. And he said, that's sexual assault. And uh, that was the statistic that I shared a few minutes ago, that one in four women will experience attempted or completed sexual assault by the time they graduate. Wow. In the actual college years, it's one in five, but one in four if you count junior high and mm-hmm. high school. And those are Department of Justice statistics. And so I asked him, what do you need to fix that, he said, we need a group of men that will stand up for respect. And so as we shared with some of the young guys in our church, there was a 100 of them that wanted to take a pledge of respect and begin this movement called the Respect Movement, made up of what their club is called as Man Up at mm-hmm. ASU. And then a few weeks later, the women uh, joined the movement, and they started Women of Worth or Wow Factor ASU. Mm-hmm. And so the Respect Movement has a women's side and a men's side. And what we found, Mark, is that that the problem of, of sexual assault is like the tip of the iceberg. Beneath the water, the 90% under the water, is really this culture of disrespect. Yeah. And so this has become a values-based movement that we, as a faith-based organization, felt like we should take the lead, but it's open to anybody of any faith that wants to be a part of the respect movement to What's build a culture. What's the response been so far? We've had thirty uh, or 3,000 uh, 3,000 ASU students, actually 3,300 ASU students, sign a pledge of respect in the three years that we've been on campus. Wonderful. And we've had rallies for respect. We've had Sun Devil Survivor Camps, which we can talk about later. But uh, it's it's just been an overwhelming response. And in an area high school where my kids go to school, uh, heard about it and asked us to work with their athletes. And we've worked with about 800 athletes on that high school campus. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about that is – you have 3,000 have gone through the training, have been really made aware. 
And l- let's just say a thousand of them really take it to heart, really take it seriously. Yeah. They're like salt and light. Mm-hmm. They can make a difference because guys, when guys act inappropriately, it's rarely just they're the lone ranger guy. Oftentimes, it's three or four guys that are all drinking that are all coming up with bad ideas. And you get one of those guys that says, no, no, we're not crossing the line. And that has an impact on a whole a whole cycle. A whole cycle can be shut down before it ever gets released. You're not kidding. One person standing up and going against the flow makes a huge ripple effect. Yeah, at a party or wherever uh, they are. Huh? We had a president of a fraternity uh, that told me a story recently. He had... He had come to a training, mm-hmm. and when he was at the training listening to, to our core values, one of them is take responsibility, and and I, I describe that as owning your good, bad, and ugly. And mm-hmm. so I said, look, as men, we mess up. We just need to own it and not blame anybody else. He sat there, and he realized that he had done something wrong against someone at that meeting. He pulled him out of the meeting, and they talked about it, and he owned it with them. It was awesome. That's awesome, Brian. Good work, man. My guest is Brian Smith, pastor of Hope Christian Fellowship church on ASU campus. We're going to be back with more of this interview in just a moment. Stay tuned. This is Mark Buckley from Living Streams Church. If you ever want to come visit us, we're on the corner of Central and Glendale in Phoenix, Sunday morning, 9, 15, and 11. We'd love to have you visit. My guest is Brian Smith from Hope Christian Church on the ASU campus. Brian, talk to us about ASU. We know, many of us, that it is the nation's largest university. What What's it like? How many students, roughly, and, and what's it all about? ASU is an incredible university. There's 84,000 students enrolled there, wow. which is way bigger than probably the next closest uh, university. It was just voted number one in innovation in America, and I think Stanford University was second. Really? Yeah. My, Dr. Michael Crow, the president of ASU, uh, has an incredible vision for change. He wants mm-hmm. students, even says this, you're not just here to get your diploma. You're here to bring change in culture and around the world when you mm-hmm. graduate from ASU. And so he has a whole program called Change Makers and all that. So we feel really comfortable because we're somewhat entrepreneurial as a yeah. church, and we're trying to bring change, not only changed hearts for the Lord, but we're also trying to see social change happen in yeah. this area of disrespect and sexual mm-hmm. assault amongst uh, uh, men and women at ASU and other campuses around the country. And so it's been a tremendous uh, place to work with uh, a university. It's so open. We're we're part of the Council of Religious Mm -hmm. Advisors Mm -hmm. on campus, and we are literally welcomed into the community, and we're told you're part of the solution. Help us connect with students because we can't do it ourselves. And we even go through CA training for the residence assistants and community assistants at, at ASU where they train us in how to spot uh, 
you know, suicidal suicide, kids or exactly, whatever. Exactly. Huh? All that. Because they have every social problem on earth is present in a university, right? It is. In fact, the wellness department at ASU uh, published some stats last year that almost 10% of ASU students reported seriously considering attempting suicide in that year. Why do you think that is? Why, why are they so vulnerable? You know, I think, ironically, you get to a campus of 84,000 students and we hear this over and over. People say, I felt totally alone. Mm-hmm. And it's because I think, well, there's a lot of factors. I can't just say one, but obviously our technology has somewhat distanced yeah. us. Yeah. But then there's this herd mentality and there's this, if you're not doing what we're doing, you're going to be left out. And so we hear about people in the dorms that if they're not going to go and do this, then they feel left out. They feel alone or they're away from home. They they're, some of them come to school and want to walk out their faith, but within the first semester or two, they've they've kind of left their faith behind. And what people don't realize is those who give in to moral uh, degradation pay a real steep price, right? Yeah. I mean, the party sounds like a lot of fun, yeah. and maybe it's fun for a while, but the next morning they're not feeling good at all. Their souls are depleted, and their minds are depressed. And before you know it, they're they're really struggling. Some of them are getting diseases. Some of them are having abortions. Some of them are are affecting the rest of their life in ways that are not fun at all. Totally, Mark. Uh, we've heard recently that there it's the highest levels of anxiety, loneliness, depression, and suicide in the history of higher learning, mm-hmm. and that there's more antidepressants and anti. Uh, anxiety medications that people are on than ever in the history of higher education. Isn't that sad? I think it's, it is. It, the reaping. It really should be one of the most wonderful times of life to learn and grow and develop friendships. But when those friendships are polluted by immorality and drug use and alcoholic behavior, then instead of being something that builds relationships, it's something that diminishes the person. Unfortunately, that's so true. And so I think when students hit campus, no matter even if they grew mm-hmm. up in Phoenix, they enter into crisis. Yeah. And what our strategy is, is to be in relationship with as many of them as possible when they hit their low point that they'll call us or when we check in with them, they'll tell yeah. us, I am depressed, I am hurting, I am lonely, so that we can help speak truth in a loving way at that time to them. Uh, so our strategy is to, we, we're in contact with about 2,000 students right now on campus on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and not all of them come to any of our religious events like church or Bible study. But they're friends of the ministry. They know who we are. They know where to call, and we mm-hmm. know them. They'll return texts. They text us so that when they do hit that critical point, they know where to go, and we're there for them. Now, you have hundreds of people that participate in your regular worship service yes. every Sunday. Um, and how about Bible study? What kind of Bible studies and small groups do you have going on the campus? We've had as many as 150 Bible studies a week on wow. campus in the dorms. Uh, they're now called residence halls. Uh, in the fraternities and sororities on athletic teams all over the place. And they're basically just real relational. Mm-hmm. Get to know everybody, build friendships, uh, begin to share really the basic gospel, you know, God's nature, the nature of mm-hmm. man, the fact that we need a Savior, the fact that we're all fallen, the fact that uh, we can't save ourselves, the basic gospel. Yeah. So we've been doing that. And uh, in fact, while we've been at ASU, we've 
we've uh, we've led seventeen thousand Bible studies in eleven years. We actually keep track of every really? Bible study we lead. Yeah, and That's we've terrific. we've met about seventy thousand students in that eleven years, and so we have some growing statistics that we're seeing mm-hmm. trends with. Uh, regarding students. It's interesting. Uh, of the 70,000 students that we've met and interviewed, uh, 79% of them believe in God, which is mm-hmm. encouraging. So yeah. basically 80%. But of that 79%, 92% don't have a biblical understanding of how to have a, a relationship with Jesus through repentance and faith. So that's a really challenging statistic mm-hmm. because I think we, when we think of unreached people groups, we think of third worlds and all that, third world nations and all that areas, and we think, well, they're unreached. They don't, but, but in our own backyard, 84,000 students are going to be the future leaders of America and other places. Uh, 92% or more, really, uh, don't understand the simple gospel. So we have a huge need to pour our resources as a culture into reaching the future leaders. I think the political landscape today would, would indicate that we need to do that at a I rapid pace. Say, yes, I dare say we're in a crisis mode when it comes to politics. Um, so I, I had a call, Brian, um, several weeks ago from a guy who had been my pastor years ago. and He was really mad and he was yelling at me on the phone and he was mad because this is a guy who had been divorced a couple of times and Somebody was saying something bad about him, and he wanted me to do something about it. And it brought back memories to me. It brought back memories of when I was a young believer and growing in the Lord and involved in a ministry, and and it wasn't a completely healthy ministry. There was some emotional abuse going on where people would get yelled at and manipulated and that sort of thing. And 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 the church, which can be the most wonderful relational organization on earth can also be messy and mm. sometimes ugly and, and sometimes even unhealthy. What's been some of your experience along those lines? Well, my wife and I both became uh, Christians through uh, campus ministry. And we it's I've always said that uh, I'm so grateful to those campus ministers that led us to the Lord. We wouldn't be yeah. in the kingdom of God, wouldn't be saved if it wasn't for that. But I've also come to realize that every family has bloopers, and yeah. uh, every every team, every church, every organization, if you look back in its history, it's going to have a messy past in some way or another. Uh, some of the ministry involvement we had over the years, both as young believers and then even when we went into the ministry, had some unhealthy tendencies also. Mm-hmm. And we had to get wisdom on how to navigate that and make the changes we needed to make to be healthy for when we planted this church. And even since then had a group of men, you're one of them who's been in our lives to help us navigate uh, how to minister in a healthy way, but also not lose the focus of reaching the unreached. Right. And that's a real challenge because um, when you're working with students, or in my case, we we had some students, but a lot of street people and ex-hippies and stuff, they need more direction than your typical middle-class family person might need. I mean, they whether they participate in a meeting or not, if they're not there, sometimes they're in trouble. They're doing something really 
wild and crazy. So they need stronger authority, stronger involvement. And yet as believers grow and mature, just like kids in a home, they need more freedom. They're going to ultimately be on their own. And so they have to make their own choices and, and figuring out how much authority and direction is appropriate and at what time to back off. Those are not easy decisions, are they? They're not. And I think what I've had to come to the place in helping students navigate decisions is that when a student comes to me with with uh, wanting advice from me, I have learned that my position is that I have a healthy mistrust for my ability to hear God for them. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I encourage them to have a healthy mistrust for themselves hearing God perfectly also, because yeah. the Bible says we hear in part and prophesy in part. It also says we have the mind of Christ. So right. it, that's why we There's need a each collective other. Wisdom collective wisdom. But I think authority can sometimes, just by virtue of being older and having a position, students will ask me many times, well, what should I do about this? And I'll say, you know, I can't tell you exactly what to do. We can look at Scripture and see some principles. Obviously, if it's black and white in Scripture that's sin, I'll, I'll tell yeah. them that. Yeah. But if it's more of a nuance thing, we have to kind of, well, what are, you, what are you sensing? You know, it's timing. There was a girl recently that told my wife that she had been sexually assaulted when she was a child, and that was a tough situation, and she wanted to go home and, and just confront, confront people. Yeah. And we said, well, you know, the, the truth needs to come out, but you have to do this in wise steps, and you right. have to you have to be right. very, you have to make sure you do it out of love also and forgiveness, and not be harsh about it. So, those are the challenging dynamics of ministry, aren't they? They I are. I mean, well, I think if people make a mistake in our society, most people make the mistake that they don't take advantage of the resources that are available because. As pastors, we want what's best for people. We're, we're not trying to control them, manipulate them, or make them have their lives revolve around us. Our goal is for them to be mature and healthy and free in Christ. And if they are, then we've done our job well. And yet a lot of people make life-changing decisions and don't even consult with people that could really be help to them. That's right. You're not kidding about that. My guest is Brian Smith. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Stay tuned to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. We'll be right back. It's Mark Buckley with my friend Brian Smith from Hope at ASU. Um, Brian, a lot of people think that everybody's heard about Christ and there's not a lot of active interest in Jesus. What's your experience been at ASU? Completely different than that. We, uh, for the last 11 years, have been 
meeting students every day. In fact, we mm-hmm. probably spend 1,500 hours a week of ministry, men and women time, meeting students. So we've met 70,000 students in 11 years, and like I mentioned earlier, led 17,000 Bible studies on ASU campus and had almost uh, 4,500 different students come to church. And of those students, here's the interesting thing. When we when we interviewed those 70,000 students, we found out that 92% or more of them don't have a biblical understanding of how to be a Christian. But here's the good news. 40 to 50% of those, at the low end, 40%, uh, have said that they're interested in being in a Bible study or coming to church if someone would invite them. Mm-hmm. So that's what we've done, and we've we've had those uh, 4,500 students come to church, and we've had almost 800 students give their lives to the Lord in 11 years on campus. And just this semester, there's been 21 students in the 50-some days of school. Almost every other day, a student has given their lives that's to awesome, the Lord. Man. That's awesome, man. So the awesome. fish are still biting, and I think that should encourage people to keep praying that we're not losing. Well, if we're losing anything, we're losing the desire to evangelize, which scares yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. And that's just believers um, not obeying Christ, you know? Mm-hmm. There, there's so much of people, they bury their light. They, they think, well, I don't know enough. or They're just basically afraid of rejection and not understanding that if you share your faith, whether it's to a prisoner or a hospital person or a homeless person or one of your friends, it's good for you as well as good for them. <laughs> exactly. In fact, Mark, we just took 110 students over to San Diego State for spring break. How did that go? It went fantastic. In fact, we met 1,100 students in three days on campus, uh-huh. and 500 of those students were interested in Bible wow. study or church, and 20, or excuse me, 15 of those students gave their lives to the Lord in those three days. And and so our experience working on different campuses all over the country is that the students are open and interested, just like Jesus said, yeah. the harvest yeah. is plentiful, but the workers are few. Amen, amen. Brian, you've got a big event coming up in April too, don't you? We do. We have an event on April 30th, which is a Saturday night at 5 p.m. on ASU campus where we are inviting anybody that has a heart for ASU to come out and for college students Uh, We're going to be sharing really what our uh, air campaign is, and I'll explain that. Uh, We have thousands of people that support our 30 full-time staff Mm -hmm. all over the state uh, with monthly gifts and special gifts. But in addition to that personal support, we're having an event we call Vision 72 on April Mm -hmm. 30th at 5 p.m. at ASU. And that event is to raise funds for our special events, our air campaign, where we do comedy shows and Sun Devils Wear Prada fashion shows Mm -hmm. and the Sun Devils Survivor weekend where we have hundreds of students go up to camp and learn about respect and come back down and and begin to build relationships with them. And so I heard my friend David French, who writes for uh, the National Review, has a quote. He said that stigma trumps dogma on college campuses. And so what we try to do with these Air Force or air Mm -hmm. campaigns is sort of break up uh, mm-hmm. the stigma that Christians aren't relevant, can't have fun, that kind yeah. of thing. And then we have the relational sort of boots on the ground mm-hmm. uh, campaign to relationally connect with them. So April 30th, it, it'll be on our website, which is hope4asu.org, hope4asu.org. So if anybody's interested, come out. It's called Vision 72, 
and it's going to be talking about our the first 72 hours when students hit campus, how we can connect with six or more thousand of them next fall like we did last fall. That's great. That sounds really great. You know, as we're talking, this might sound funny since we're on a radio program, but um, I just thought about wouldn't it be neat if there was a special radio ministry at ASU that you guys could do to just, could, you know, you've reached 70,000 students. I, I would love it if you could somehow reach mm. 30,000 every year. But to do that, you're going to have to have some new creative ways to get into their hearts and minds. You're not kidding. Social media is a new way. But yeah. if there's any way we can get into the airwaves and connect somehow, I know I'm trying to learn how to do rap, Mark. I'm trying to. Oh, are you really? Well, no. <laughs> and just... with a dance to go with it, Ben? <laughs> I'm trying to learn how to rap gifts better is what I mean. Yeah, so. I bet. I bet. So um, what are some of your dreams? I mean, you guys have built an incredible model on the ASU campus. You've you've got a thriving church. You've got all these Bible studies. You've got outreaches. You've got your respect movement. You've got the Sun Devils Wear Prada, etc. Have you thought about um, duplicating this at San Diego State or at you know Iowa State or wherever mm-hmm. around the country? Yeah, we uh, – thanks for asking. We would love to – uh, send out churches to other campuses. That would be our heartbeat. In fact, we before we do that, though, we have four uh, geographical locations of ASU across the valley. There's Tempe campus, but there's also downtown mm-hmm. West campus and Polytechnic campus. And we have students coming from several of those campuses to Tempe, but we would love to have a presence on those campuses. And then as that as those teams grow and their leadership grows and we would love to send out teams to other campuses. And San Diego State is certainly on our radar because it's so close. It'd be a great sister campus, and it'd be awesome yeah. to have something. There. And there's something about just getting people out of town to oh, yeah. into another culture too, right? It would be great. It would just be awesome to have a back-and-forth relationship with another church on another campus. Well, may the Lord give you those resources to make that possible. Thank you. So, Brian, tell us what else is on your heart. If you were addressing the whole ASU student body on a radio program right now, what are some of the things you'd want to say to them? First of all, I would I would want to talk to them about how uh, culture is defined as this is how we do or this is what we do, either of those things. There's a popular song by Katy Perry that says that. And I think when people come into a culture, they're asking the question, what do we do here? Or how do we do life here? And when students hit the campus at ASU, they're they're whisked into this river that I mm-hmm. talked about earlier of this is how we do relationships, this is how we do weekends, this is mm-hmm. how we do drugs and alcohol, this is how we do everything. And I would say to students uh, to take responsibility for their lives and not let that river sweep them away. And mm-hmm. then to those that uh, respond to the message, I would say to them, we want you to be a river guide for students that are coming to campus next year. Because when you take responsibility for somebody else, you grow the most. And so Mm -hmm. I would love to see students uh, both take responsibility for their spiritual life and then also for the social situation at ASU relationally on campus and really see that one in four statistic disappear over the next five or ten years. You know what's interesting? Everybody's attention is on the presidential election and the the different candidates, and I'm sure on the campus there's a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters and, you know, all the rest. But um, in reality, 
the decisions we make morally and spiritually have a lot more impact on our lives Mm. than who's going to be president. (laughs) I mean, who's going to be president, you know, may determine a certain tax rate or certain uh, percentage of the economy that does plus or minus. But the decision you make on where you go to church, the decision you make on who your friends are going to be, the decisions you make about whether you're going to maintain sexual purity and uh, those are the decisions that are going to impact the rest of your life with grace and power or with uh, some very serious detrimental consequences. I would say in a college environment, Mark, the the number one issue is relational purity. Mm-hmm. And we have a football player in our church who has walked that way for the last year since he became a Christian, mm-hmm. and everybody on the team knows it. And, and, and it's just that... It's that blatantly obvious, and he describes how women will just show up at his apartment and want to be with him on a regular basis, and he has to actually leave and get out of there. And I think that's common on every campus. I've heard stories all over the mm-hmm. country, and so you're right. The moral, the moral fabric of individuals' lives is the most important, and while none of us are perfect, I think the call is to be pure and to be honest right. and to follow right. Christ in purity. And so... Uh, one of the things we have to discuss as a church and talk about are relationships and this issue of male and female relationships and beyond. And so yeah. it's really important. You know, the, the irony, Jesus said that, you know, man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And everybody understands, okay, when you're married, the two are one flesh. But the Apostle Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 6 that if you sleep with a prostitute, the two become one flesh. Mm. That you wouldn't think of uh, sleeping with some random person, having sex with them, and giving them half of your money. Why would you give them half of your soul? You That's, know what I mean? Yeah. If you were to, if you're to truly weigh what's more valuable, your soul is more right. valuable than your money. Mm. Why would you give half of your money away? And uh, why would you give half of your possessions away? You wouldn't. You wouldn't even think about that. But why your soul is your vitality. It's your your mind, your will, your emotions, your connection to God. It's your ability to be creative and all the good things God's given us. To give that away to some stranger, you deplete yourself. That's the dumbest thing imaginable. But, you know, we have physical uh, urges, we have temptations, but we need a mindset that teaches us why our soul is so valuable and why it's so precious and needs to be preserved for God. You know, Mark, I I think that people give college students sort of a pass on morality, mm-hmm. and they kind of view campus as a time to sow their wild oats. You know, mm-hmm. you've heard that phrase. Yeah. And one this player I was talking about on the football team has been living sexually pure since he gave his life to the Lord and all his teammates know it. And one of his teammates came to him and said, man, I want to, I want to go to church and be a, a Christian, but I just have this problem with girls. Yeah. And, and, and my friend on the football team said, well, what's that going to be like when you get married someday? And you, mm-hmm. are you just going to have a problem with girls? Isn't that going to affect your marriage? And it really convicted him because he hadn't thought of it that way. That's true. You know, and, uh, the, the problem with pornography or immorality is you open your mind, you open your soul, you open your body up to these other people, and you don't shake it. Mm-hmm. Even, even when you're forgiven by God for your sin, 
the damage that's done can take years and years to heal in many cases. Well, we're going to wrap up this discussion in a few moments. I'm with Brian Smith from Hope at ASU. This is Mark Buckley from Living Stream. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Coming to the end of the roundup here. And my guest is Brian Smith. Brian, you've done an incredible job at ASU. And um, I want you, as an evangelist, one of your jobs is to equip saints for the work of ministry. And many saints are not doing evangelism. Speak to our listeners about sharing their faith with others. Mm. Well, I, I just think it comes down to the promise in, in Scripture that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And it and, and the part that we maybe don't think about is uh, the workers, and it's really work to work the harvest. And yeah. I think that to get good at uh, evangelism, you just got to work at it. You've just gotta, like if you were a musician or a preacher or anything. Or no. a fisherman, mm-hmm. uh, you've got you've to work at it. And I think if we, especially in the campus years, I ask people to remember what it was like when they were freshmen. Mm-hmm. And if you if you put yourself back into that state of mind, you remember how on the outside you might have had it all together, or been fit or whatever, an athlete or a student, you know, smart, whatever it was. But think about the insecurities that were stirring and swirling around when you walked on campus. And then think about uh, if someone had come up to you and just befriended you and really reached out to you and loved you mm-hmm. and accepted you for who you were, and and then through that relationship shared the gospel, would would it have made a, a difference? Because it did for me, and it did for my wife Wendy. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I I needed the church when I was in college, but now my whole family needs the church. I've got yeah. three sons, and they're all college age now, and so they're part of the church and in small groups and. So I just love the local church, and I hope that people have a passion for evangelism. Amen. Share your faith. God bless you, Brian. Thank you so much for being with me today. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. If you want to visit us, we're on the corner of Central and Glendale in Phoenix. Um, You can look us up on the web at livingstreams.org or just drop by one of our services, 915 or 11 on Sunday mornings. And whatever you do, Do it heartily as unto the Lord and enjoy your life. Loving God and enjoying life are very similar. Enjoy your life. It's the only one you're ever going to have. God bless. Thanks for being with us today. That's a great tag. Well done.